0: If I was going to try and sum up what we've just read in an illustration, my mind jumps to a big old heavyweight boxing mat, punches flying left, right and center, big, bold guys standing, bold punches, because that's what this passage is, is statement after statement after statement that deserves unpacking. There's a reason that Martin Lloyd-Jones took 22 sermons to work through this single chapter. Because it is glorious. I'm not going to do that. Uh, we're going to do it in two. Um, but it is utterly, utterly glorious. And what we find then, in, in what we've just read. Do you want me to use this? Bruce, are we okay with this? Thank you. Um, what we find here then in verses 1 to 14 is our position before God in light of the cross. And what we find from verse 15 is our attitude and our behavior in light of the cross. So we start here with 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 the objectivity of the reality of the position of each believer in light of the cross. And there's three fundamental words as we work through this that you'll notice if, if you're in the ESV translation, those exact words, I'll reference them in other translations. But the three words we'll consider this morning are know, consider, and present, because I think they shape for us where this passage goes, what it means, and why it's so important for us. So This week, shaped by verse 1. Next week, shaped by verse 15. The good news of Jesus is remarkably simple. It is remarkably simple to understand. It does not require a level of intellect to come in faith to the Lord Jesus. But with that simplicity, there is... Challenges at times in how we understand it. And Paul is facing a challenge here because there is a teaching and an idea that if grace is so free, the more that I sin, the more grace that I get, therefore, the closer to God I will be. Therefore, sinning for a believer is good. That's the start point. That's the question that's asked in verse 1. And what Paul goes on to unpack for us is simply that grace is never cheap. It might be easy to understand, but boy, it is not cheap. It came at the greatest price that there could ever be. It is easy to understand, as the Spirit would show us the spiritual truths and depths of this. But grace is the most priceless gift we have ever known, we have ever been given The very thought that there is something, an act done by God that might wipe away my sins, cleanse me, and forgive me is utterly, utterly immense. But there was a a desire here from some to take advantage of it. I am saved by grace, wonderful, therefore I can do whatever I want. I am in the hands of the Lord, so whatever I might do... Who cares? It doesn't matter. I know where I'm going. The battle cry of the Reformation, the simplicity of salvation by grace through faith. It was The Reformation was that great return to this teaching of Paul and seen throughout the life of Lord Jesus, shown to us in the ark of the Scriptures, that we are justified not by the law, but by Christ Jesus. And we see that wonderfully summed up in, in chapter 5 and verse 1. We'll stick that on the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the, 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 the centerpiece, I think, that all of this works from. This is him summing up, really, the chapters that went before this verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's doing in chapter 6 is explaining this And explaining the implications of what this means for us. But this is the argument. This is his point. This is what he wants people to know. You have been justified by faith. Therefore you stand cleansed, redeemed before the king. You have peace with God. He reminds us at the very, very end of chapter 5. That the purpose of the law was to bring an awareness of guilt. An awareness of our short fallings. It doesn't take much, doesn't take much time to spend in the Ten Commandments and look at ourselves in light of them and realize how far short we fall. You then take Jesus and his, his building on that and the Sermon on the Mount and other places and you really begin to see how far fall, how far we fall from that. He's telling us that in light of that, the law points its finger at humanity and says, you have failed. You have failed the holiness, the the perfection of God. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Verse 20, Romans 5. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul uses a fascinating word in Galatians 3.24 to describe the law depending on what translation you've got. The ESV NIV uses the word guardian. The New King James uses the word tutor. The King James uses the word schoolmaster. That's what the law is to us. Guardian, tutor, schoolmaster. The law takes us by the hand and leads us to Jesus because it's there in the law that we see how far we fall. But then in light of that, Romans 8 1, therefore, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Powerful punches, statements made on every page in every line of this book. We receive then the reality of a grace utterly sufficient for everything a grace sufficient to sustain us day by day, to cover a multitude of sins, all the sins that we ever could. As sin increases, grace abounds. There isn't a limit of grace for his people a day. His grace is endless and overflowing. It is lavished upon us. We have been acquitted. We have been set free. We have been forgiven. That is who we are. God has taken us in a sorry, sorry state. And in his sovereignty has made it so that we might believe. And sorry sinners are recognized as righteous before God. This is what Paul has preached in the beginning of Romans. And somebody, goodness knows who and how, their question is on the, along the lines of verse 1. Their question to everything that he has shared about the grace of God is, well, does that mean I can sin a lot then? That's what's happened. That's the response he's giving here. Somebody has listened to the grace that is lavished upon them, and the the response is, great, I can do whatever I want. Can we live then a totally irresponsible lifestyle? Can we continue to sin so that grace might increase? Someone was teaching it. It was prevalent that you are saved, therefore... You can do as you please. So I think Romans 6 lays out for us then. How we are to live as his people. I think he sets out for us here in Romans 6. The answer is by no means. The answer is no. You shouldn't keep on sinning. And I'm going to show you why. And we start then thinking about our position before God in in, in this simple word no. We see it three times. Verse 3, verse 6, verse 9. The first thing that we must do as we stand before God and as we know our position before God is we must know. What must we know? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? A position before God is shown stunningly in the picture of baptism. It is shown beautifully that those who take to the waters and that glorious picture of dying to the old self and rising with christ please please pray for those that will embark on this journey tonight they need your prayers it's really important baptism fundamental commanded by the lord jesus so important but by its performance for those in the tank for those of us that gather and witness it is Simply a reminder of what our Lord Jesus did for us. It's one of our two ordinances. We've got the Lord's Supper, we've got baptism. The two things the Lord Jesus commands us to. We do this to remember him and we open this tank and people are lowered and raised because of what the Lord Jesus has done for them. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized? into his death to baptize means to identify that's what it is that's why the public declaration is so great somebody stands here and says actually do you know what my identity is found in him I know the grace of God therefore I'm going to stand here and I'm going to show you how much I love him by obeying him and taking to the waters friends if you know and love the Lord Jesus and have not taken to the waters of baptism I believe the Lord Jesus commands us to do so and I would urge you to come and have a chat with us. I'd love to speak to you about it. We are baptized into Christ Jesus. Baptism does two things for us. It points us back the way to Calvary, just as the table does. It points us back to Calvary, to everything that God has done. And in baptism, we see the glorious reality of the resurrection going forward. Death to sin, death to the old life, new life in Christ. And verse four expands on that. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So we've got this idea of, shall I keep on sinning and doing what I want? And now we're met with phrases like newness of life. It's very different, isn't it? It's a very different way of thinking. Do we look to the old and what has been? Do we look to what is new and given to us? We must know, as painted for us in baptism, this picture of a dead yet resurrected Christ. We cannot behave, we cannot obey, we cannot do the things that we will look at next week if we do not know with every ounce of our being that the Lord Jesus died and rose again. It is the pinnacle, it is the most important thing, it is the thing that Paul spent his saved life utterly obsessed over. Jesus is glorious, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. Receive him, know him, obey him. The old life is gone. The old has passed. The old life is dead. Dead men don't sin. Dead people don't do anything, but we are to walk in the newness of life. Our identity changes Not in baptism, but baptism shows, symbolizes, it symbolizes that identity change. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Our identity then no longer is in Adam and in this world, but it is in Christ Jesus and in the family that he has called us to. The second thing in verse 6 is we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. This idea of, of slavery is, is huge next week um, f- from verses 15. It's really the, the pinnacle of it. Are we a slave to, to sin or are we a slave to Christ? It's not a very popular word. It's a loaded word. We don't often like it. But ultimately, are we slaves to sin or to Righteousness to Christ. The old self, the old man, the old woman, the old me, the old you is gone. You see, he's painting this picture for us that if we know who we are in the Lord Jesus already, he's painting this picture of, friends, how might we ever want to go back? How might we ever want to indulge the pleasures of this world when we have been set free from it? We have been The chains have been broken. We have been set free and declared new and righteous in the eyes of God. Verse 10 reminds us of the finality of The sacrifice that it indeed was once for all. That the Lord Jesus did what he did for us and it was wholly, fully and absolutely sufficient for our needs. So that we might then stand and say we know we are set free, we are justified. Because of what our saviour did. So we come then to the third that moves us from knowing that we are dead knowing that his people are dead to the life of sin and dead to what has gone before. So we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. We have been set free and there is now life. There is now glorious, glorious life. And as far as God is concerned, we're already on the resurrection side of the grave This is now living life, not in the three-day period between death and resurrection, not with an uncertainty of what is going to happen, but living in the reality that Jesus is alive. Now, if we have died with Christ, verse 8, we believe that We will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul's building, he's building on this idea of verse 6. Since we have died once, since Christ has died once and for all, we too have died once and for all to our old selves. Therefore, we believe that we should live together with him. He is alive. He will never die again. And we are in him. The two big words of this are justification, sanctification, being made righteous in our justification by the cross and sanctification are growing in that righteousness, our maturity towards him, our maturity and our daily walk, if we want to be people that take our faith seriously, that take our Lord seriously, then the first thing we must do is we must know our position before him. And our position is simply that you are dead to your sins and you are alive in Christ. So to be crystal clear, Christian living is built not on the fear of the law, Because we're not a condemned people. Romans 8, 1 makes that exceptionally clear. We are not a condemned people. But Christian living is built upon our love for the Savior who gave everything for us. So in light of knowing this, verse 11, we now must consider. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God In Christ Jesus. In light of the truth that we are told to know, in light of the truth that we do know, we are to remind ourselves that we are free from the penalty and the dominion of sin. Totally and utterly free from it. And we can count upon the fact then that because we are raised with Christ, that he gives to us by his spirit everything that we need every single day to live for him. I'm not a fan of the phrase, God will never give you more than... You can handle because it tries to put a glaze on firstly it's not a bible verse it's not scripture but it also is an idea that glosses over agony i don't know if anybody's ever told you those words in a really difficult time it doesn't normally go down very well though i understand the sentiment what i do know is his grace is fully sufficient doesn't mean it's easy doesn't mean life is easy. Doesn't mean the Christian walk. Doesn't mean daily life is somehow simple. But his grace is fully, fully sufficient for those who are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider I forget what translation it is uses the word reckon. We've got to calculate. We've got to think through, take into account, add it up, work it out. Consider, think about these truths. We've got to meditate for ourselves that we are dead to sin and alive to God. We're forgetful people. I forgot to put on my blooming wedding ring this morning. I do that most days and I even had to try and use it for a kids talk illustration. I still forgot it. We're forgetful of even the simplest things. How quickly we forget who the Lord Jesus is and what he's done for us. And the secret, the secret to Christian living, to holy living, to right living before God is the mind of the Lord Jesus. It's not really a secret, is it? Because we're told that time and time and time again. The more we know the Lord, the closer we are to the Lord, the more who we are shows his glory to this world. That is Christian maturity. That is sanctification. That is... Walking the walk, that is, practicing what we preach. Baptism, that beautiful picture, doesn't save us, but shows us. And the facts simply are, Christ has paid the penalty. Christ has set you free. Therefore, live like it. Live like it. Live like those who have been truly Set free. but Maybe you're sitting there saying, Do you know what? I don't feel very dead to my sin. I don't feel very dead to it. I don't feel like the things that used to tempt me don't tempt me anymore. Maybe you've been in the Lord all your days, as far back as you can possibly remember, and you think. I don't feel very free. <laughs> I don't feel very dead to sin. I don't feel really like the old things have gone. I understand. Well, I take us back a step and say we must first meditate and know who God is. Because it is only when we begin to truly grasp really what he has done for us that we begin to understand how indebted we are to him. It is good in our temptations and our struggles and our challenges to have good, godly people that we speak to. It's good to have accountabilities. It's important to have. Be honest with the Lord. As much as we're forgetful, we're also very arrogant because we often think we can hide things from God as well. Talk to him. Be honest with him. Seek wise counsel. Because if you live as though you are dead when you are alive, what sort of life is that? Friends, we are alive, we are made new. And we want to be a community of God's people that are known as alive people. So, verse 13, present yourself. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So now, because of all that he has done, we can now walk in the newness of life. We have been raised, we have been set free, he desires that we would live in the freedom that he has given us. The Spirit has captivated us, dwells within us. Let therefore... Verse 12, let not sin therefore it, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. That's simply, do not let sin be the king of your body. Do not let sin define you. Do not let it be your master because ultimately we will serve one of two masters. We will serve Christ or we will serve the enemy. There is no other option. Don't continue to sin. Verse 1, don't, don't do it. Verse 2, by no means, don't do it. How can you? Don't dare but present yourselves. Present ourselves before God as people who understand really what he's done for us. You see, it's hard. I reflect on being a young parent with little kids. That when you grow up, so much of what you see of faith is just, it's a bit naff because it's a bunch of rules because it's like at home and at church, I'm told I'm not allowed to do this, I'm not allowed to stand there, I'm not allowed to say this and do this. And it's hard because, and I'm really conscious of that as we seek to raise children to, how do I help them see that life isn't about rules, life is about love and obedience that flows from love. I want my children to obey because they love me, because they see this picture hopefully in me of one that loves, therefore obeys. You can pull me up in a few years and tell me that was a bit idealistic. (laughs) I understand. But present yourselves as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Do not let us not be people who think we have been saved by grace. Therefore, everything else act well. But let's be people who know him, take him seriously, and live in light of who he is and all that he has done for us. And just three simple closing thoughts from that. From this, the first thing is, friends, you must determine if you are dead or alive. Do you know Christ? Do you know him? Do you love him? Or are you still under the bonds of slavery? Are you still in darkness? Do you still know death? I urge you to consider the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means for you. Or are we alive in Christ? We know that deep down somewhere. It's a bit hidden under life and stuff and we're maybe not quite walking in the newness of life like we should be. Or is your heart fully focused on him saying, I know I will make mistakes, but day by day I will grow closer to him. Secondly, friends, we must identify the sin in our lives and we must put it to death. We must see the things that draw us away from God. I say that and you're already thinking, you already know the things in your life that are not of him, the things that are not good, the things that need put to death, be it pride or lust or gossip or greed or envy or selfishness or arrogance or a lack of forgiveness or hate or lying or addiction or whatever it might be. We must put it to death. Because the Lord Jesus gave himself for us. We do not want to be people that live in the old life. And finally, consider then what it looks like for me and you to live truly in the newness of life. What does it look like in my life to love, to pursue forgiveness and purity and gentleness and truth and patience, generosity, service, all that is good, all that the Lord commends to us? What does it look like for me to live in light of that? Friends, we are not under the law. You are not under sin. You are under grace. What really struck me at the weekend, the way we, we, we were looking at the book of Joshua. Um, If you want a 10-minute roundup, I shared that at the prayer meeting on Wednesday. But what really struck me in in chapter 24 was this idea that the people stood and signed their names on a covenant at Shechem. We haven't signed our name to a covenant because our covenant is drawn in the blood of our Savior. Our covenant with him as his people was not saying, yes, I'm going to stick my name on that. I'm going to sign up to this. I declare I am... God's but instead it is him that has done all of it friends would we live the way the Lord has created us to live pursuing Jesus filled with the spirit walking in his ways because it is how we should live and my goodness does this town of Hamilton need to see godly people walking in its streets if you are not under grace this morning seek him And if you are, we're going to gather at the table and we're going to celebrate because he's alive. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice this morning that sin has no dominion in us and over us because the Lord Jesus is alive. The Lord Jesus has conquered death once and for all. Lord, would you help us draw close and draw near to be a people that love you wholeheartedly, that know you, that consider all that you have done and present ourselves to you as people not walking in darkness, but walking in light. We thank you, Lord, for the grace poured out, the grace applied to our lives, for the blood that was shed at Calvary that means why we might call ourselves the redeemed, free people. Help us, Lord, to walk in your ways and not the ways of the flesh. Amen.